Democrats are worried that a rebounding economy could hurt their chances of fobbing off the brain-dead relic of a once dishonest human being on a population blinded by economic hardship in November's election. Speaking out of the more appealing side of his face, DNC Chairman Harvey Dent said, quote, They say you can't fool all the people all the time, and unfortunately, that was our entire election strategy. If people in Michigan are scrabbling in the dirt for roots to eat because Governor Gretchen Whitmer won't let them out of their houses to make a living, that's a state where we can run a wooden dummy speaking in Nancy Pelosi's voice with Karl Marx's hand up his tuchus, and they'll never know the difference. But if, heaven forbid, people can feed their children again, that's bad for the Democrat Party. And what's bad for the Democrat Party is bad for America, if by bad for America you mean good for America, unquote. Presumptive former presidential candidate Joe Biden says he knows he can convince people he's a friend of the working man as long as the working man isn't working. Speaking to a potted plant he mistook for his own reflection, Biden said, quote, My hope is that come November, people will be so hungry that a walking potato will look pretty good to them. I was even planning to put some butter and sour cream on my head and maybe a sprig of parsley so they could imagine by voting for me they'd get something to eat. But if the economy should rebound and people are doing okay, then the only question is going to be, who am I and what was I talking about? No, really, who am I and what was I talking about? Unquote. President Trump, meanwhile, plans to continue his strategy of doing an excellent job while saying stupid stuff, because beating Biden would just be too easy if he weren't shooting himself in the foot at the same time. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. Life is tickety-boo, birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray, oh, hooray, hurrah. All right, we're back, and I hope you're subscribing to the Andrew Claven YouTube channel where you can get my opens complete uh, and unedited in video form, and we're following also your comments. We've got one today uh, from Hunter King. Uh, Clavin, <laughs> Clavin, you beautiful bald warrior. I felt myself laughing at your opening joke so hard. I found myself crying uncontrollably like Brian Stelter. I've decided to schedule a gender transition for next week. Although I'm worried about the 60% chance that I will commit suicide, I feel that I've disgraced the gender of man. I will resign my male genitals to you, old wise one. May God save the Clavin. Uh, first of all, Hunter King, uh, I have enough trouble <laughs> managing my own without yours, but we will put a warning up on the show that it could change your gender at any moment. So there are a lot of expressions uh, that used to be common in America that seem to have gone out of fashion. Hey, it's a free country. Uh, that's what makes for horse races. There's no accounting for people's tastes. These were all expressions that meant the same thing. People are different. Their differences are annoying, but that's just the way the world is. So if you want to remain free and happy, you got to shrug it off and mind your own business. In my opinion, these then typical American expressions were an outgrowth of gospel guidance. Judge not, lest you be judged. Don't bother your brother about the moat in his eye when you should pay attention to the plank in your own. Let him who is without sin throw the first stone. Now, like a lot of things in the Gospels, this guidance goes against our fallen human nature. Fallen human nature urges us to spy on and tattle on and condemn one another, to gossip and shame one another, to judge and get that satisfying and completely false feeling that by judging someone else, we've shown ourselves to be virtuous. 
even in Christian communities, I've noticed that Jesus' advice is often interpreted out of existence. Listen to how fast a lot of pastors turn into jailhouse lawyers as they explain that Jesus didn't really mean judge not. He meant don't judge hypocritically. He didn't really mean let him who is without sin throw the first stone. It was a riff on some obscure Jewish law. I would like to put forward an alternative theory, crazy as it sounds. I would like to suggest that when the word of God said judge not, he meant judge not. That when he said don't look at the moat in your brother's eye, he meant mind your own damn business. Social media like Twitter and Facebook have scientifically developed systems to enrage you and tempt you into being a gossip and a petty squealer. That makes social media the opposite of the Gospels. And if we follow it down its broad road and through its wide gate, the expression hey, it's a free country, won't just be out of fashion, it'll be obsolete. All right, let us talk about ancestry DNA. One of the great things about ancestry DNA is that when you find out about your DNA and your ancestry, you find out that you may be part of the American story in ways you didn't know. I mean, there's, uh, of course, a lot of famous stories about World War II, say, and the battles, but the skill and bravery of the Tuskegee Airmen. I interviewed one of these guys, so inspiring. They don't talk about this enough. They don't talk about the women who trained to become pilots and mechanics or the Japanese-American battalion that became one of America's most decorated units, despite discrimination against Japanese Americans at the time. In honor of the 75th anniversary of the end of World War II, Ancestry DNA has just released a U.S. draft card collection from World War II. It's got over 36 million draft cards completed by fighting age men in the United States across the country during that time, whether they ended up in the, army, in the services or not. There's a great chance that you could find your relatives in this connection, and it can help you learn more about what their lives were like. Uncover your ancestors' personal details in their World War II U.S. Draft Guard collection, which shows details like home address, physical description, and more. If you use Ancestry.com, you can discover your untold stories and more. Head to my URL at Ancestry.com slash Clavin to start to start discovering your story today. That's Ancestry.com slash Clavin. You really have to look at the DNA before you realize how you spell Clavin. It's K-L-A. That what he said. <laughs> Talking about social media today, it is a problem, uh, especially in this moment when we're coming out of lockdown and it's making us a little nuts. As I said yesterday, at the end of a crisis, that's when you get nuts because at first you prepare yourself, you brace yourself, you muscle down all the feelings and all that stuff. But as the air starts to come in and as you start to be released, that's when people start to go a little crazy. You may notice it in your relationships. You may notice it in what you're saying on Twitter. You may notice it in the way you behave. Twitter is now doing something that is just wrong and there's no legalizing our way out of this. Donald Trump has been attacking vote by mail. He thinks it's the path to fraud. Here's Trump talking about that. This has more to do with fairness and honesty and really our country itself. Because when that starts happening, you don't have a a fair, you have a rigged system. You have a rigged system. And that's what would happen. So mail-in ballots. And the governor of California did better than any that I could ever do in terms of explaining When he sent out, or will send out, and I don't know, I think it's maybe partially already done, millions and millions of ballots to anybody in California that's walking or breathing, many of those people don't have the right to vote. Well, they'll be voting. And you know what? We're not going to let it happen. Because you're subverting our, our process, and you're making our country a joke. 
And the Democrats are doing it because, in theory, it's good for them. Although, last week, we won two big races. So Twitter puts, he tweets about this, right? He puts out a tweet about it. And Twitter puts a get the facts about mail-in ballots link on his tweet. And it tweets to something that says these claims are unsubstantiated, according to CNN, Washington Post, and others. So in other words, they're countering Trump's opinion about this with the opinion of leftists for, for no reason, for absolutely no reason. The, you know, the evidence is that they're the fears about voter fraud are overblown, but that doesn't mean that voter fraud isn't possible. So this is his opinion. He puts it out on Twitter. And he responded by saying, uh, Republicans feel that social media platforms totally silence conservative voices. We will strongly regulate or close them down before we allow this to happen. Now, I should mention here that the head of site integrity at Twitter is a guy named Yul Roth, who called Trump a Nazi and called the, the middle states flyover states and said we fly over them because they voted for a racist tangerine. This is the guy who's making these decisions. Now, to me, there are right-wingers who are saying, well, Twitter is not governed by the First Amendment. But this, is, to me, is just common sense. And I don't even want to get legalistic about it. If there is a new technology by which we converse with each other and they have virtually a monopoly on our co- communications, they cannot be censoring us any more than the phone company can be coming into our conversations and saying, oh, Grandma, what Clavin just said to you isn't true. They ca- it can't happen that way. It just doesn't make common sense. Trump is totally, completely in the right about this, and no legality, no legalism is going to stop that to maintain free speech. We have got to regulate these companies so they don't do this because that was just plain wrong. Now, the other thing that is insane, you know, there was an article in the journal today about Facebook that Facebook came out a while back and said, you know, our algorithms are driving people apart, right? They put up a slide that said, our algorithms exploit the human brain's attraction to divisiveness. That's what they, this is in Twitter, in Facebook. This is what the Facebook executives are talking about. And of course they do, because divisiveness outrage is, makes you come back. It's, it, you know, it spews this, these chemicals into your brain and you think, oh, this feel, it feels really good to hate on these people that I disagree with. And they warned in this slide to Facebook, if left unchecked, Facebook would feed users more and more divisive content in an effort to gain user attention and increase time on the platform. And so that question, says the Wall Street Journal article, went to the heart of a question dogging Facebook almost since its founding. Does its platform aggravate polarization and tribal behavior? And the answer they found in some cases was yes. And they went into an internal effort to understand how its platform shaped user behavior and how the company might address potential harms. And then suddenly nothing. They stopped. Uh, Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg and other senior executives shelved the basic research according to previously unreported internal documents and people familiar with the effort and weakened or blocked efforts to apply its conclusion to Facebook products. So you have this drug that is being pumped into your brain on uh, the Internet that basically is making you angry at your neighbor, making you hate your neighbor, making you want to spy on your neighbor, giving you that satisfying sense of outrage, giving you, you know, when you, when you condemn people, I mean, the reason Jesus said judge not is because he knew that you judge not to, you judge people to turn your eyes away from your own soul. That's why you do it. That is why we condemn people for things that don't really matter. So the other day in Central Park, there's a place, I think it's called the Ramble or the Bramble, I can't remember now, but it's where uh, people go and they walk their dogs and you're supposed to keep your dog on a leash. So the two people here are both named Cooper, but they're not related. One is, I think, Amy Cooper and one is Chris Cooper. And she's walking her dog 
and without a leash in this place. And he's a bird watcher and he wants her to leash the dog. And when she refuses, he tries to tempt the dog away from her with treats. And here's the video of the confrontation that went viral. Sir, I'm asking you to stop. Please don't come close to me. Sir, I'm asking you to stop recording. Please, please don't come close to me. Please take your phone off. Please don't come close to and me. I'm taking a picture of calling the cops. Please, please call the cops. Please call the cops. I'm going to tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. Please tell them whatever you like. Excuse me. I'm sorry, I'm in the ramble, and there is a man, African-American, who has a bicycle helmet. He's recording me and threatening me and my dog. There is an African-American man, I am in Central Park. He is recording me and threatening myself and my dog. And my... I'm sorry, I can't hear you either. I'm being threatened by a man in the ramble. Please send the cops immediately. All right. So this goes viral uh, because she used the word African-American twice. And when she threatened him, she said, I'm going to tell him there's an African-American man. Uh, she's tagged as racist. She loses her job. She gets fired from her job. She's suffering death threats. Uh, and, you know, it, it, well, let's let's hear Chris Cooper himself was coming down saying that these death threats are, are wrong. The guy who was in the video. Some of the messaging I am told has been death threat. And that is wholly inappropriate and abhorrent and should stop immediately. Um, I find it strange that people who were upset that they tried that, as they see it, and and rightly, that she tried to bring death by cop down on my head, would then turn around and try to put death threats on her head. Where is the logic in that? Where does that make any kind of sense? So now this woman's entire life is ruined. She gets fired. I mean, it, it really, it's really a, a terrible thing. They, they fire her, of course, because now, because of the civil rights legislation that is enforced not by uh, police, it's enforced by lawyers, trial lawyers, a corporation can get s- sued for racist practices, and they could use her, that video, as evidence against them. They could say, look, they allow these racists to work. So they fire her to protect themselves from lawsuits. That's why they do it. We wonder a lot of times why companies are so gutless and why they, you know, do what is obviously an overreaction. And I'd like to put forward a radical theory. I'd like to put forward a radical theory that this lady seemed to me a little hysterical and a little racist. She did. She seemed to me a little hysterical and a little racist. And this guy was butting into her life. He should have left her alone. You know, the he could have lived with the fact that she's walking her dog off leash. I mean, come on, you know, like he started a big, big fight with her over absolutely nothing. He's tempting her dog away. I'd like to put forward that both of these people acted badly and it's none of your business. That's that's my radical <laughs> approach, that it's none of your business what these people did. They're 3,000 miles away from me. There's 330 million people in this country. Some of them are acting badly at every given moment. Some of those moments, it's me who's acting badly. And the illusion that this creates, the the, the wave, the tsunami of judgment that falls on these people is a way of saying, look what good people we are. By judging her racism, I show that I'm not racist. Or by judging him, I show that I'm a good American standing up for her right to walk her dog. Whatever it is, it it is an absolute nonsense. It is something that 
Twitter is using as a drug to get you on. And then they're using that as a drug and then they're censoring the president. Then they're putting fact checks on the president. So this is like actual kind of uh, kind of mind control that really does need to be regulated. I don't believe they have the absolute right to do what they're doing to us. And we have to also defend against it. We can't say they're doing this to us and therefore we're helpless. We can stay out of this conversation. This is none of our business. Getting her fired is a terrible thing to do. Obviously, the death threats are a terrible thing to do. I think he's a jerk. I think the guy's a jerk. I think he should have left her alone. So what? So what? I don't know these people. I'll never meet these people. They live 3,000 miles away from me. Mind my own business and mind your own business. You know, they're doing this with the mask thing. And a wonderful moment, MSNBC, the guy's out in Wisconsin. And the thing is now it's a virtue sign if you're wearing a mask, as if, as if, really. And so he's out there, <laughs> the reporter's out in Wisconsin trying to prove that nobody's, nobody is wearing masks out here, Karen. You know, <laughs> he's talking to the reporter and a guy walks by and notices that one of the people not wearing a mask is the cameraman. Here's the here a great clip. So are the people there just not worried about it, Cal? Are they not worried about their own personal safety? I haven't met anybody who is, but you can see here, just around. Nobody's wearing them. Nobody's, uh, the there you go, including the cameraman. Yeah. <laughs> Striking images. <laughs> Striking images. We just got owned, you know. So now, like, Biden showed up for Memorial Day with this mask on and sunglasses. So help me. That's now his avatar on Twitter. He looked like he was going to rob a bank and Brit Hume was making fun of him. So here's Biden uh, basically calling Trump names because Trump isn't always wearing a mask. He's a fool. An absolute fool to talk that way. I mean, every leading doc in the world is saying we should wear a mask when you're in a crowd. And especially when you know you're going to be in a position where you're going to inadvertently get closer than 12 feet to somebody. I know we're 12 feet apart. I get that. But um, it's just absolutely this this macho stuff for, for a guy. Well, I shouldn't get going, but it, it, it just is. It, it's cost people's lives. It's costing people's lives. And like I said, we're almost 100,000 dead today. 100,000 people. Columbia studies showing that we could have, if you just started a week earlier, would have saved thousands of lives. I mean, these are, these, this is a tragedy. And by the way, the, you know, the studies show also uh, the same kinds of studies show that Trump saved millions of lives. Nobody ever <laughs> asks the question that way. Trump had a wonderful response. This was my favorite response. A reporter tries to troll him on this. He's taken on the master troll. Uh, this is uh, cut two. Mr. President, two questions about uh, a couple of things you've tweeted about in the last few days. Uh, were you meaning to criticize Vice President Biden for wearing a mask yesterday? And can you explain why you've been tweeting about a conspiracy theory that has been proven to not be true? Now, Biden can wear a mask, but he was standing uh, outside with his wife, perfect conditions, perfect weather. They're inside, they don't wear masks. And so I thought it was very unusual that he had one on. But I thought that was fine. I wasn't criticizing him at all. Why would I ever do a thing like that? And uh, <laughs> your second question was, I couldn't hear you. The can, second, you can you take it up? Because I cannot hear I'll, you. I'll just speak louder, sir. <laughs> oh, OK, good. You want to be politically correct. Go ahead. No, sir. I just want to wear go the ahead, mask. Go ahead. Go ahead. The reason that's a troll of genius is once we start carrying each other for our racism, for our intrusions, for our obnoxiousness, we're all guilty. 
We are all guilty. You cannot have a country where we're squealing on each other like second-rate rats in a gangster film. Can't be. It's not the way that you remain free. All right. So let's talk about Bambi because you're all, uh, those of you who are running businesses know that this is the time when you really have to be watching over your business. And when you're running a business, it's HR. HR issues can really kill you. Uh, Wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations. Some of the regulations in our state, in California, are so arcane and weird. You really can't keep up with them. An HR manager, to have an HR manager is not cheap. They have an average of $70,000 a year salary. But Bambi, which is spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, was created specifically for small businesses. You get a dedicated HR manager to craft HR policy and maintain your compliance, all for just $99 a month. $99 a month, you get your own HR manager. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Month to month, no hidden fees. You can cancel anytime, and your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. So go to Bambi.com slash Claven right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash Claven, spelled BAM to the B-E-E dot com slash Claven, which is spelled uh, Clay to the uh, yeah, K-L-A-V-A-N. There are indeed no E's in Claven. You know, the other thing that is happening on social media that really is adding to the noise. This is real. This to me is really interesting. Is is Trump? This thing between Trump and Joe Scarborough. Now, Donald Trump has been tweeting about a woman who died uh, in in Joe Scarborough's office. He was then the uh, a Republican congressman. Uh, so this is two decades ago. And the woman was a woman named Lori K. Klausudis. She was 28. She was found in Scarborough's Fort Walton Beach, Florida, congressional office on July 20th, 20, uh, 2001. Uh, the coroner said that she had an undiagnosed heart condition. She fell and hit her head on her desk at work. As far as I'm aware, there is absolutely no evidence that Scarborough had anything uh, to do with this. And indeed, I don't even think he was in the office at the time. And Trump has been tweeting, suggesting that this is a case that needs to be reopened, that maybe Scarborough killed her, that maybe Scarborough was having an affair. It is it is ugly, ugly stuff. And and Trump defended this. Here is a clip of Trump uh, basically defending his actions. I'm sure that ultimately they want to get to the bottom of it. And it's a very serious situation. I also saw a uh, clip with uh, with Joe and Imus. Uh, where they were having a lot of fun at her expense, and I thought it was totally inappropriate. Now, it's a very suspicious thing, and uh, I hope somebody gets to the bottom of it. It'll be a very good thing. As you know, there's no statute of limitations, so it would be a very good, uh, very good thing to do. Now, the Klausudis family, her, her uh, husband, her, her widower, is begging him to stop doing it, begging Twitter to take it down. Twitter won't take it down. Uh, it's clearly it's clearly a violation by the president. It's clearly like he is wrong on this uh, entirely. Uh, Scarborough hit back with a kind of sentimental uh, tribute to the girl. We'll, we'll play that to be fair. A good woman, a young woman's desire to do something good for the country that she has loved has led first to people on the far left on the Internet sullying her name and then a Republican senatorial candidate years later sullying her name and then people on the far left later 
sullying her name. And now the president of the United States sullying this good woman's name. So here's the here's the thing, you know, without without in any way justifying what Trump is doing, because this is not like when he was trolling Obama over his Kenyan birth or whatever it was. You know, it's not it was not like Birthergate, which was a nonsense to begin with. And it was a was a fair troll because Obama was trolling everybody by not releasing his birth certificate. So Trump trolled him back. I thought that was a totally fair troll if you want to be a troll. But this is not. There are people alive who love this woman. There's no evidence that Joe Scarborough killed, killed this woman. You know, and, and it's the kind of charge you don't make unless you actually, you know, you actually have the evidence. It's the sort of thing you don't just say. And if you're the president of the United States, you don't say it without any just without in any way justifying him. I want to read something that Mark Hemingway wrote at The Federalist, which also Hemingway does not justify what Trump is doing. But he p- makes this point at The Federalist. He says, a U.S. senator read into the congressional record accusations wholly without evidence that an honorable and accomplished man is a gang rapist for no reason other than that fair Democratic elections have rendered them politically impotent to stop his nomination to the Supreme Court. Obviously talking about uh, Brett Kavanaugh. When this happens and in turn is enabled and cheered on by the media industrial complex, don't expect Trump supporters to feel convicted or responsible for what Trump does or says. When Nearly every major news agency in the country is implicated in the vicious social media pylon and physical threats directed at a Catholic high school kid for the crime of wearing a MAGA hat. To the point outlets such as CNN are quietly settling libel suits, you start to see why Trump voters are nonplussed right now. When Trump is singled out for his outrageous comments while Joe Biden gets portrayed as an avuncular goofball for decades of horrifying behavior, it starts to make sense why Trump voters can't be bothered to care. In 2012, Biden told black voters Mitt Romney was going to put y'all back in chains. That's about as vicious as it gets. Since Biden started running for president in 2020, he has actually threatened to hit hit another voter who questioned him about his campaign's addled position on gun rights. We played that on the air. He threatened to punch the guy out who was questioning his position on gun rights. He also called a voter fat and a liar and questioned him to an IQ test because he had the audacity to ask Biden about his son's suspect million dollars a year uh, deal at a dodgy Ukrainian gas company. In case you're wondering if there are any media double standards at work here, when Biden gratuitously insults people, this is CNN, quote, in a human moment defending his son, Biden showed the authenticity, emotion, and readiness for a fight that appeals to so many Democrats as they look for someone who can take on Trump. This is the thing, Mark Hemingway, that's Mark Hemingway at the Federalist, he's absolutely right about this. Without justifying Trump, without justifying Trump, we need to point out that he is not an anomaly. He is part of the system. Let's take it from the top. If people voted for Donald Trump after years and years and years of feeling they had no voice, they had no voice in the news business, they had no voice in the entertainment business, they had no voice at the movies, they sent their children to the academy and they had no voice there, they paid college professors, socialist college professors to indoctrinate their children with values that were not their own. All these years they felt they had no voice. No matter how many media outlets like the Daily Wire there are, no matter one that there's one cable network, Fox News, that sometimes speaks for the right, no matter how many times the overwhelming, overwhelming uh, 
monopoly of the communications industry in this country is on the left. So all those people are silenced. They're all silenced. The opinions they express at the dinner table are ridiculed by the comedians on late night TV. The things that they hold dear are denigrated at the movies. The prayers they say to the God they love is, are dismissed and laughed at by every single communications outlet. And finally, they say, you know what? Here's Donald Trump, you clowns. Here's a voice for us. And the only way that voice is going to be powerful enough to speak out against you is going to be if he's at the in the office of the presidency. That's the only place. So now they've transformed the presidency, not just into a bully pulpit, but into an anti-bully pulpit, into bullying back against the bullies who have been stepping on their goals and their dreams and their lives and their religion and their faith and their values all this time to single Trump out, to single Trump out for his bad behavior, and it really is bad behavior, is to miss the bloody point. That's all I want to say about this, is that this is missing the point of what Trump is doing and why people don't care when they do this. And we've heard all this stuff about if you're an evangelical, oh, what a hypocrite you are for supporting Trump because Trump is not a Christian man who doesn't do that. That's missing the point. You can't do this to people. You cannot do it to people. And they have done it with a kind of insouciance, an arrogance, a disregard for the people that they serve that is absolutely infuriating. It is absolutely infuriating. You know, there's a situation uh, in, in Minnesota, Minneapolis, that also is on social media and is a proper use of social media where somebody took a video of a cop kneeling on a suspect's uh, neck and the guy was saying, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, and the guy died. And now there are protests and they're saying it was a racist thing because the guy was black and the cop was white. Obviously, the cop was a cop, but I don't know if he was racist, but, that it, but it, just watching the video, he was not acting in a well-trained, good manner. The guy was not committing an act of violence. He did resist arrest, but he was not uh, a suspect for a violent crime. That's a legitimate use. That's a legitimate use of a video and social media and judgment. It's a video, there, there you have judgment. It's not a judgment of character. It's judgment of actions and judgments of, uh, of official actions by people who are responsible to the people. Totally valid use of social media, totally valid use of judgmentalism. Now the people are out in... Uh, in Minneapolis and they're protesting and they're protesting this is a racist crime. Is it a racist crime? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know whether the guy's a racist or just an incompetent cop. We know that blacks commit more violent crimes than whites and they're more likely to be in struggles with the police because of that. They're more likely to be in confrontations with the police. But we don't know if the cop is a racist. We don't know if this is a, some part of some uh, big problem across the country of police abusing uh, black people. The studies suggest that's not true. That's, that, that's not true. But where do we go to say it's not true? Who will say it's not true? Who will speak up for us when we say, no, no, this isn't a racist country. This is the least racist country on earth, which is the truth. This is the least racist country on earth. And we, wanna, and we all want to say that cops shouldn't do this. We all want to attack this cop for his bad behavior, but we don't want to attack him for race. Who speaks for these people? And because you have no voice, people get angry. It, you know, wouldn't it make you angry? Doesn't it make you angry when you're gagged in silence? So Donald Trump is not the problem. He's a symptom. He's a response. The problem is all within the communications industry and its monopoly by the left. Uh, tonight, a backstage. We're doing a backstage. Four o'clock Pacific, seven o'clock uh, Eastern. If I, that's my math, you know, with my math, you never know. 
But we'll all be there, Ben and Jeremy, and even Noel. We may invite Knowles. Somebody's got to clean up afterwards, so we may invite Knowles as well. Uh, and so you want to be there for that. And you also, of course, want to be an all-access member so you get your double Leftist Tears Tumblr, solid gold, diamond-encrusted uh, Leftist Tears Tumblr that you will get two of. And God knows how many millions of dollars that would be worth if what I was saying was true. It's, it's impossible to tell. So go over to dailywire.com slash subscribe to join All Access. It means when we do backstage, you'll be able to ask questions. But, but when you subscribe, you've got to use my name, Clavin, K-L-A-V-A-N. No E's in Clavin. I make it look easy. <laughs> That's that's what I'm I'm saying that already. You don't have to play. You get 15% off if you subscribe with my name and they're counting. They really are counting the number of subscriptions from each show. So if Knowles gets more subscriptions than I do, obviously that will be a sign of the end times. They'll be wailing, gnashing of teeth. The moon will turn to blood. You don't want that to happen. So go on over to dailywire.com. Dailywire.com slash subscribe and subscribe with my name, K-L-A-V-A-N. The mailbag is coming up. It's the Chinese mailbag because it will be spreading wisdom like the plague. It's on its way. All right, the mailbag. Here it is. Here's the mail. It never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. How did you get that? <laughs> All right. You know, we, we could just do lead-ins to the mailbag. We don't even have to do the mail. As I said, when I was advertising the mailbag, we will accept video mail, uh, video questions if you want. If you don't want to send in a video, that's not going to make it harder for you to get on. But we will accept videos. We got a couple of them. Uh, we got this one from Brandon with, I think, a very insightful question. Yeah, I have a question for Andrew Clavin, if that really even is your name. <laughs> I pause to give you a chance to respond to this pre-recorded video message. Anyways, as a Chinese-American person of color, I find it astonishing that you continuously reference the Chinese virus. Why do you continue to do this, despite the fact that the virus has no ethnicity? It has no gender? It has no... Well, it does have squinty eyes and yellow skin, but that's just incidental. Anyways, why can't you just call it by its medical term, the Kung Flu? Then when this is all said and done, we can truly say that everybody was Kung Flu fighting. <laughs> Except for Andrew Cuomo. <laughs> well, Brandon is clearly an Asian murder hornet. Uh, he's, welcome, he's welcome to come on the show anytime. He's actually adding, he's value added to the show. All right, from Jonah, a bald man who knows many, many things. I recently just saw the Adam Sandler movie, Uncut Gems. Uh, I, I come from a Jewish family, and I felt as if it was shining a light on how my father lived his life. I loved my father, and I think of him often, but how do I not get upset at my dad for making similar choices like the character in the film? Uh, thank you for everything you do. The character in the film is a dishonest guy. He's a gambler. He lies. He cheats on his wife. He's like just a, just a very bad guy. I had to turn the movie off because I found it so unpleasant. I couldn't finish it because I just couldn't stand watching the guy. So your father was like this, and you think of him often, but how do you not get upset? Well, let me put it to you this way, all right? If you have the wherewithal to see that your father's behavior was bad and to behave in a better way and to live a better life than he did, it's possibly possible that you got some breaks in life that he didn't have. It's possible that he did things coming from a life that you don't totally understand that were wrong, that were just wrong. And you don't know, you didn't live his life, you don't know the life he had. The way you write, he sounds as if he's dead. I tell you for all, in all truth, he is standing before a perfect judge, 
who will get full mercy, who will get full justice. It's not your problem to judge him. It's your problem to assess him. You do have to assess your father. You do have to know how you were brought up and where values came from that were not your values. There are values you don't want to look uh, to look at. But there's nothing wrong. There's nothing that should stop you from loving him and trying to understand him and trying to forgive him for the things that he did wrong. First of all, it will help you with other people. It will make you more understanding and more loving uh, toward other people. And secondly, it won't get in the way of your having the love for your father that I think is, is good for you. Loving him does not mean loving his actions. It doesn't mean uh, you know excuse, making excuses for his actions. To know all is not to forgive all. Some French philosopher said that, so you know it's wrong. Uh, you know, to know all is not to forgive all. But but simply to to understand that he lived a life that was not your life. He came from a place that was not the place you came from. He gave you or helped to give you enough of a life and wherewithal to understand that that was not the way you want to live. And you should be grateful for that and try and see him in the full light of his life. And then when you've done that, you should try and see other people that way too. Uh, and maybe find you'll find that you're judging less uh, and loving more, which will make you happier and uh, will give you a better life. Um, from, but I don't, blame, I don't blame you for being upset. I'm just saying that you know what you want is to be upset and assess him in a loving, forgiving way. Uh, from Alan, hello, Clavin the Wise. First off, I'd just like to say, as bad as things can get, uh, listening to your show always cheers me up. I had a very bad week last week. A good friend of mine who uh, was I was best man at his wedding killed himself. Uh, he left two young children with his life, wife left to raise. I do find this cowardly and the easy way out, but I believe he was suffering from mental issues. He, probably, he almost certainly was. I've always considered myself a Christian, but the view of my late grandmother, who was Catholic, she believed that people who commit suicide go to hell. I'm a Christian, but not Catholic, and just wanted to know what your thoughts are about this. I appreciate your insight. God bless. All right, my, my thoughts are this, and this is really tough. God will judge. God will judge. It's not your point, place. It's not your job. It's way above your pay grade. So high above your pay grade, you can't even see that pay grade. The judgment that will be passed on this guy in his agony, which God knows all about, in his pain, which God knows all about, in his mental suffering, which God knows all about, that's where the judgment will come from. That's not your job. Your job is to love him and his, and his memory, to be kind to the people he left behind because suicide is just devastating, devastating to the people who were left behind. And so you don't have to judge. You're off the hook. You are off the hook. It is a job you don't have to do. I mean, there are things that I don't have to do. There's a truck that comes along every now and again and picks up my garbage, and I'm so grateful to the people who do that, but I don't have to do it. I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to judge the world. I don't have to judge where people go afterwards. You know, this, this is a really important thing because Christians seem to feel that they not only have to understand that there's an afterlife with reward and judgments, but they have to be in control of it or somehow it's not there. <laughs> it's there. You don't have to worry about it. I have complete faith and complete trust in the guy in charge, and I have complete faith and complete tr trust that whatever love and forgiveness I'm able to bring to people and to their memories and to their lives, he's able to bring infinitely more, infinitely more love and forgiveness than me. And whatever smallness and judgmentalism and anger I'm going to bring, he's able to bring infinitely less. So think of it that way. He's going to get more breaks than you could possibly imagine, more mercy than you could possibly imagine. You don't have to deal with anything else. What you have to deal with are the people who are left behind who are suffering uh, very badly. All right, here's another video question from Sarah. Hey, Clavin, this is Sarah, and I've got a personal question for you. This past year, my husband and I went through a traumatic pregnancy and birth experience. 
We found out early on in the pregnancy that our daughter had a chromosomal abnormality. It was random, but it was incompatible with life. As her parents and as Christians, all we could do was let her die with dignity. She died at 39 weeks gestation, and needless to say, it was, it was pretty awful. We're coming up to the point now where we can try again, and I'm terrified. I've wanted to be a mom since I knew what a mom was, but I can't seem to shake the fear. It's robbing me of my joy, and it's making me really nervous about this next pregnancy, about how I'm going to cope. So if you've got any advice, any encouragement, I don't know, a kick in the pants, whatever you got for me. Thanks. Uh, all right. First, Sarah, I, I'm, I'm so sorry that happened. That is a, a terrible tragedy, uh, just a heartbreaking tragedy. 39 weeks, obviously, uh, very close to, to birth. Uh, that's a, you've, you've lost a child and that's the wor- it, it's the worst thing that can happen. It is the worst thing that can happen to any person is to lose a child. Uh, I think if they had a list, that would be number one right there on the list. So uh, your heart is broken. Nobody blames you for being afraid of it's happening again. Nobody blames you if, uh, uh, if you're just in, in mourning. When you say uh, it's time to try again, I, you don't quite make it clear whether you mean it's, it's, you're physically able to try again or having assessed your own emotional state, you have decided that it is the right time to try again. And the only reason I say that is I just want to make sure that you've given yourself sufficient time to mourn that just because it is now safe to try again doesn't mean that you're finished with the mourning, the grieving process for this child you lost. I mean, which is just devastating. It is a devastating thing. But let me assume for a moment, I'm going to address the question as if you have said, yes, I am ready to try again. I have mourned this and I want to move on. Uh, if not, take a little more time. You know, it's up to you. You know, it's your, your choice. I, I mean, I want you to get there because uh, you want so much to get there. And, that, and just because a, a child dies uh, doesn't mean you shouldn't have the life that you want to have and the life God has for you. So I, wa- I want you to get there. But, you know, if it needs a little extra time to, to heal, you shouldn't be afraid emotionally. You shouldn't be afraid to do that. First, as a practical matter, if you can get a DNA test, and there's I have no religious objection to that that I know of, uh, if you can get a DNA test, you should get a DNA test to make sure this was a random thing, that it's not likely to occur, get all the facts, make sure that you're not walking into this, you know, like blind. I mean, if you can get a test that uh, makes, to make sure this was a random thing, uh, you should get it. You should get that test. Next, how do you deal with fear? Okay. Fear is a thing that has to be overcome, right? It's not, a, it's not something that goes away. It actually is something you have to defeat. And it takes courage and it takes effort. And it is something that, uh, obviously, if we saw life clearly, uh, we'd be afraid all the time. We'd never leave our... It'd be like being in a, a blue state now when people can't convince themselves to leave their homes and go back to work. You have to defeat it. Ernest Hemingway had a great line about uh, courage and cowardice and fear in which he said that basi- basically what he said was that courage was the ability to suspend the imagination, to suspend the functioning of the imagination, to stop thinking about the things that could happen, to stop imagining what could happen. He was talking about soldiers. He was talking about how uh, uh, the soldier who can't do what he has to do can't suspend his imagination. So you have to learn how to do this. You have to learn how to suspend your imagination. And that takes an effort. It really does. I mean, we've all been in situations in which we're afraid. You have to shut it down. Just because, just because your mind can conceive of things that will happen doesn't mean they're likely to happen, doesn't mean they're going to happen, doesn't mean they, they are, going, are a threat to you in any real sense of the word. 
the whole purpose in this situation where now the news media continually telling you frightening stories is to override that, is to basically act like your cowardly imagination and implant that cowardice in you. In you, you know, the fear is natural. Anybody would be afraid in your situation. And so what you have to do is understand, you have to understand through reason, you have to understand through reason that your imagination is not the world. Your imagination does not increase, the fact that you can imagine something does not increase the chances of bad things happening. The fact that you can imagine something does not mean that something is going to happen. It has no effect, no, uh, you know, t- uh, valence, no weight on whether it's going to happen or not. So stop imagining it. Just force yourself. When it comes up, Force yourself, train your mind not to imagine it anymore. And you will find the more you do this, you might only be able to do it for five seconds at first. Do it for six seconds next time. You will be able to do this. You will be able to train your mind not to do it. It's an effort. It's just something you have to do to get through the fear. So again, make sure that you are done grieving or at least, you know, you're never going to be done grieving. Let me be honest with you, Sarah. This is going to be a pain. We all have our griefs and pains in our lives that that stay with us. This is going to be one of them for you. So that's the first thing. But make sure that you're ready emotionally to take this on again. Then get all the proper medical treatment that you need to, to have the most assurance that it's going to be fine. And then train your mind, train your mind to suspend the imagination so that you will not be that afraid. If you need help doing that, get help. If you need a therapist to help you do it or a a, a sensei to help you learn how to meditate, use all those techniques. Use all those techniques to train your mind. Zen meditation, by the way, is a great tool for learning how to control your mind because you find, you sit down and you think, oh, I can't possibly stop thinking. And then over time, you learn that you can. You can stop thinking. I use this stuff all the time. I use it when I know that uh, I'm afraid but don't have any control over the situation. I just think I'm not going to be afraid. You have to learn how to do it. It's, it's just a technique. And once you have that technique, it will get, it'll bring you closer to God. It will help you pray better. It will help you live better. It is something that you have to do. You are, it is absolutely natural for you to feel the way you feel. Absolutely natural for you to feel the way you feel. And now if, you want, if it's time to move forward, beat it. All right. Uh, gee, I'm out of time. I didn't know I'd gone that long, but I have. I have gone out of time. Um, out of time. I will be back tonight at four o'clock Pacific uh, for the backstage with the gang, seven o'clock Eastern, and I'll be back again tomorrow with the show. I'm Andrew Claven. This is the Andrew Claven Show. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review and also tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knoll Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. And our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there. 